Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, February 23rd. And this is your FT News Briefing. This week will mark a year since Russia invaded Ukraine, and we'll hear from a Ukrainian lawmaker who's trying to hold Russia accountable for its actions. But first, a look at some of the companies who are benefiting from the war. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Western support for Ukraine has driven up shares in U.S. and European defense companies. A leading global benchmark for the defense sector is up almost 30% since the start of October. Europe's stocks, aerospace, and defense index has risen just over a third over the same period. Investors are betting on increased military spending by Western governments, and the gains reflect a growing belief that the conflict is unlikely to end anytime soon. Russia's war in Ukraine has gone on for nearly a year. We're going to hear the recollections of 35-year-old Ukrainian lawmaker Lesia Veselenko. She's an international lawyer who's using her legal skills to try and force Russia to pay for its actions. Vasilenko spoke with the FT's chief foreign affairs commentator, Gideon Rockman, for the Rockman Review podcast. This is an excerpt from their conversation. We must end this war by summer this year. And we must end it with Ukraine's victory, because the victory of Ukraine is the victory of the democratic free world, and it's also a victory of the Russian people as human beings. That was Lesia Vasilenko explaining her view of what's at stake in this war. And as you'll hear, she's doing her part by pursuing legal avenues to prepare the way for war crimes trials and to get Russia to pay for the rebuilding of Ukraine. She even has a plan to get Russia booted out of the UN. Like most Ukrainians, she's having to do all of this against the backdrop of a life turned upside down by war. In Ukraine, we started calling February the shortest months of the year, but one which never ends. And it certainly feels like that. We were in total denial. We were saying that we have seen this time and time again. Russia has been amassing troops and then calling them back along the Ukrainian border for the last eight years, since 2014. Nothing is going to happen. Because what choice did we have? Starting to do what? Panic, be scared, evacuate people, evacuate families, cause chaos or havoc in the country. Those weren't the options on the table. And also, there was no option of getting Ukraine armed to the teeth and ready to fight back the Russians. The point is that every single Western ally at that point was concerned. They knew what was about to happen, but none was ready to arm Ukraine. The assumption was that Ukraine should just give up. And I won't be surprised if it will become known in several decades that bets were being placed in how many hours or how many days Ukraine will fall and Kyiv will fall and there will be not just a Russian invasion, but a Russian occupation. Yeah. And now it's a year later, impossible to cover the whole year. But just give us a sense of what happened to you both as a person and as a politician over the course of the last year. I think like many Ukrainians, I discovered dimensions of myself I didn't even know I had. Resilience is one word to use. As a nation, we proved to the world and to ourselves, first of all, that we are more than strong that uh, we value freedom and that we know the taste and the feel of freedom, and that we are prepared to go to very big sacrifices for that freedom. 
As a person, first of all, I'm a mother. I have three children. The youngest is about to be 20 months old. And I've lived this year in separation from them most of the time because I've been able to spend maybe two weeks, maybe one week per month with them. They're here in London? They are here in London, in the UK, for safety reasons, but also for reason that the older children who are seven and nine would have been completely lacking an education if they had stayed in Ukraine. Because you have to understand that with the air raids, there is disruptions in the education process. With dangers of attacks all the time on the table, many of the teachers have left. With the missile attacks sometimes ongoing for several days, with the attacks on the energy infrastructure, it means that there's no power, there's no electricity. So even the online education becomes impossible. So of course, when and if there is a choice, you make that choice for the future of your children. And of course, the question that I have asked myself as a mother on uh, the 1st of March, that is the day when I evacuated my children, was... Would I be able to forgive myself if at any point a missile falls, a drone attacks, shrapnel wounds happen to my children? Will I be able to live with this and forgive myself if anything happens to them, knowing well enough that I had the opportunity, the resources and the possibility to take them to safety? And the answer was no. Give us a sense of what it's like in Kiev now, because again, from the outside, there's been a roller coaster. There was the horrible period when it looked like the Russians might enter, then they get forced back. But now there's these attacks on infrastructure. How livable or unlivable is normal life in Kiev? The abnormal has become the new normal. It suddenly became normal to go to a restaurant where you know that all your food is being prepared of a generator. To see how businesses, small and medium businesses, especially in big cities in Ukraine, survive by being extremely creative and adapting to providing basic services like haircuts, manicures, other beauty services in the half dark with torches on the heads. Yes, and I guess that everybody contributes in the way they can. And you have a particular legal expertise. You're very involved in the legal lawfare, some might call it, against Russia. What do you think the most important things or the most important campaigns that you can do to use the law and international law against Russia? Well, that's the beauty of international law. The rules are there. I feel as an international lawyer, a frustration of sorts that there is no political will to be applying those instruments so clearly set out. It's clear that Russia is the aggressor state. Having said that, there's very slow movement, although there is movement on the setting up of a special tribunal on the aggression of the Russian Federation against Ukraine. And finally, a big one for me is isolating Russia from international platforms. So far, the Council of Europe has excluded Russia and has been the first international organization to exclude Russia from its membership. But the obvious one is the United Nations, the UN. Russia, being the biggest aggressor, the biggest threat to international security, sits on the UN Security Council. It holds veto power. There is a permanent member. Essentially, Russia abuses that veto power to hold the UN hostage. And it's absolutely ridiculous because everybody knows this. Another fact that is very well known to every single member of the UN is that Russia has acquired membership illegally. You're saying the seat belongs to the USSR, not to Russia. Yes, the USSR, an entity which ceased to exist 
before the Russian Federation was formed. And the Russians made the mistake of not ratifying it, you say? They haven't made the mistake. They just didn't ratify the UN Charter, just like they chose at one point to deny the jurisdiction of the European Court of Human Rights. Okay, so legally I can see where you're going. Politically, though, non-starter. Politically, actually, no. Politically, it must become the new reality. I think we owe it not just to ourselves, but to the future generations that are to come. Because with Russia, that mistake is today costing the lives of thousands of Ukrainians. It has already cost the lives of Georgians. It has already cost the lives of Syrians. And there will be more wars to come. That was the FT's Gideon Rockman talking to Ukrainian MP Lesia Veselenko. If you want to hear the whole conversation, we have the link to the podcast in the show notes. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business whether it's a local operation or a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.